Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Learner's Corner. This is the podcast for lifelong learners where we learn from anything and everything. My name is Caleb Mason. My name is Todd Hixenbaugh. And today, we're going to be learning about how to lead when you're not in charge. And joining us for the podcast will be Clay Scroggins. Now, Clay is the lead pastor of North Point Community Church, where he provides visionary and directional leadership for the local church staff and congregation in Alpharetta, Georgia. Now, North Point Community Church is the original and largest campus of North Point Ministries, which was founded by Andy Stanley, which many of you may be familiar with. North Point averages over 12,000 people in attendance each week, and Clay recently authored a book called How to Lead When You're Not in Charge, which releases today. Now, Caleb and I aren't excited for this episode at all because we have never liked Clay Scroggins a day in our life, and we actually didn't know who he was. We're totally (laughs) kidding. We love Clay Scroggins. We are so excited to bring this interview to you. Um, And and the reason why we're so excited is because this is a guy. We're excited for two reasons. One, we've been following North Point for a long time. A really long time. We have learned a ton from Clay and Andy and from everyone else. And the second reason is because what we're talking about him with is something that we deal with. And literally everyone deals with. Everybody, if, you're, if you are in a leadership position and you are not the head leader, you deal with this almost on a daily basis. And so for Caleb and I, this has been something that has been kind of a gut check time as we kind of hear more about Clay's book. And even as we did this interview, I, I think both of us afterwards we, we just sat back and we're like, wow. So there is just a lot for us to digest. And that's why we're so excited to be able to bring this to you, talking to Clay Scroggins about how to lead when you're not in charge. In fact, one of the cool things about um, getting to do this interview with Clay is that we've got um, an advanced copy of the book, How to Lead When You're Not in Charge. And, you know, as I was reading through it, you know, um, Todd always likes to joke with me uh, because at the end of each year, I... Um, because you're a freak. I, I rank all the books that I've read, or at least the top, you know, 20 or so. And I've been joking with them this entire time because I've said, you know, this is this might be number one. It's easily going to be in the top five. Because you're a freak. Did you, by the way, did you guys catch the fact that he literally said it's in the top 20 or so? That insinuates he's read more than 20 books because he's a freak. Don't judge me. And with that, we're going to join our conversation with Clay Scroggins. Well, welcome to the podcast, Clay Scroggins. Thank you so much, guys. This is great. Uh, fun to be a part of the Learner's Corner. I, I, uh, I fancy myself as a learner, so I love your title. Thanks. We're really excited to talk with you today. You know, Clay, why don't you tell us a little bit about your role at North Point right now? Yeah, I... Um, I am the campus pastor or lead pastor. We kind of fluctuate between both of those terms. Um, we, we started using lead because a lot of people that attend our church think it's odd that we call it a campus. And so they start thinking that we're in education or something, <laughs> which is weird that I don't know why churches started calling their local uh, their multi-site campuses. But anyway, so um, I'm the campus pastor, lead pastor of North Point Community Church. Um, North Point Ministries is our umbrella parent organization. We have six Atlanta area churches, and I lead our church in Alpharetta. I've been at North Point for 
gosh, uh, I guess this fall will be 19 years. So I moved to Atlanta in 98 to go to college. I went to Georgia Institute of Technology, uh, commonly known as Georgia Tech. I studied engineering. I was not very good at it. The school said, we will let you graduate if you promise to never use this degree. <laughs> so I said, thank you. And I went immediately to Dallas Theological Seminary. And it was really because of my time at North Point. I, I was so enamored with um, the North Point style of church. I mean, I, you know, I don't know, the easiest way to explain it is rock and roll church. I mean, we, we, we had a band before most churches had bands, I guess. But um, but really, it was a, the heartbeat of North Point is to be a church that unchurched people love to attend. So um, that really intrigued me. I, I was, ever since I put my faith in Jesus, have been very evangelistically minded and really love all the Luke 15 passages about the lost coin and the, um, and certainly the lost sheep and the, the lost son. And so we're very motivated by that, trying to create a place that unchurched people come in and feel comfortable. And so I, my background is in student ministry. I worked for, I guess, about eight years in student ministry and met my wife at Dallas Theological Seminary and then uh, became a campus pastor uh, maybe seven years ago, and the last two and a half years, I've been the campus pastor at North Point. So that is my that is the longer version of my bio. And is North North Point's like the biggest campus of all of the ones, the, all of yeah. all the campuses, correct? Yeah, great. Yes, you're absolutely right. And it's really, you know, a lot of people. Um, we so we named our campuses local to the community that they're in. So we named, we have a church in Gwinnett County that we call Gwinnett Church, a church in Buckhead, we call Buckhead Church. Uh, Woodstock uh, is a suburb of Atlanta, and we have a Woodstock City Church there. Um, but it's, it is a little confusing because North Point Community Church uh, is just one of the campuses, and people use that term mothership a lot. And it's really not, honestly, that's not a statement of false humility. It is not the mothership. We really operate as one of six Atlanta area campuses. It is the largest and it is the oldest. Um, and it was the original, but it's not, it's not the broadcast. Um, Andy actually, uh, this particular Sunday, as of when we're recording, this is preaching live at North point, but that's the first time, uh, maybe the second time or third time he's been there this year. So he's, he's been, he really bounces around a lot and broadcasts out of, um, our other campuses. So it's, it, it, it's really not the mothership campus any longer. Gotcha. Well, we're excited to talk with you about your new book, How to Lead When You're Not in Charge. And so, you know, why don't you tell us a little bit about how, like the journey of you becoming the the lead pastor at North Point Community Church? Yeah. Um, that, that the, my, this book has really, has been obviously birthed out of my own journey. So, um, Thank you for beginning with that, because that really is how I bumped into this idea. Uh, you know, 10 years ago in church world, before multi-site was as, uh, as popular as it, as it is now, this term of campus pastor was not really a term. And um, it, now it's quite, it, you know, it's quite a common job at, in church world. But um, when I became a campus pastor, it just created all this confusion internally in me because I was in charge of a local campus, but um, I quickly learned that I wasn't really in charge. I mean, I had when I became a campus pastor, I feel like I had more bosses than I had ever had before. Um, 
and, and the truth is I've learned this from Andy, but the, the higher you move in an organization, in some senses, the more bosses it seems like you have because great leaders feel accountable to the people they lead. And that can oftentimes feel like a boss. So anyway, so I moved into this role as campus pastor and thought, okay, finally, I've moved into a position of authority where I can exercise control, where I can, in my mind, lead like I thought I always needed to lead. But the truth is that I had less authority than I thought I had. And so in that moment, everybody, and everybody's had that, whether you're a student pastor, worship pastor, uh, associate pastor, whatever your role is, or even in the business world, everyone knows what it feels like to be given a role and then be told what you can and can't do in that role. And you're going, wait a second, do you want me to do this job or would you like to come do this job? Um, and so that was what I was faced with. And usually when that happens, we do one of two things. We either abdicate and we get real passive and we just go, okay, fine. I'm not going to apply myself. I'll just do what you tell me to do. That's not healthy. Or we leave and we feel like, well, I got to go find a place where I don't have such a, an obtrusive boss or such a micromanaging boss or, or go lead my own thing. I'm going to go work for myself because then I'll be able to have all the room in the world to lead. And I just realized in that moment that I was believing a lie, that there really is a, there is a lie that we believe that says you got to be in charge in order to lead. And the truth is you, you don't, you can lead from the seat you're in wherever you are. Uh, because influence really is the, the, the influence is the commodity of leadership. I, I would say influence is leadership. That it's not a title, it's not an office, it's not a, a position on an org chart. It really is influence, and you can have that no matter where you are. So, the book really has um, it's certainly run congruently, run parallel to what I've been learning in leadership. Can you tell the story of when you first realized this, that this idea of how to lead when you're not in charge, you know, that conversation that you had with Andy, you know, as I was reading the book and it was like, it was like you were reading my mail. Cause I'm like, man, I am identifying with this so much right now. Yeah, I bet. Um, I say I bet because I know you're in a multi-site <laughs> church. So I mean, and, and Todd, I know your church is single site, correct? Yeah. But, and, 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 I do think multi-site helped me learn this quicker. Uh, I'll, I'll clarify. I actually worked at, at New Point as an intern for several years, too. So, so you I've know been it. In, oh, I've been well. in that world. Yeah, I've been in that world. But, I, but the truth, is, the, the lesson is the sa- it's the same whether you're multi-site or not. But, but multi-site, I do feel like, has a way of quickening this lesson because, because of the fact that you're, you know, at the time, I was 20 miles away from our quote-unquote mothership. And I was thinking, okay, well, now that I'm 20 miles away, I can really do what I think we need to do. And then quickly, multiple people were saying, no, we're not going to do it that way. Um, so, yeah, this particular moment, Andy pulled, he, he asked me to drop by his office and uh, because he had some questions about the way we were teaching some content in one of our student environments. And because of my background in student ministry, I think he... He probably thought, well, Clay will definitely have an opinion about this. Uh, so he, as he was asking me about it, I knew what he was referring to. I knew the problems with it. I, I could, I quickly anticipated what his frustrations were. And instead of owning it and saying, you're right, we've got to fix that, I played the victim card and I blamed. And I said, well, the central organization gave us that content to teach and we taught it like we were supposed to teach it. 
And if it didn't go well, it's their fault. And he kind of went at it a different way and asked the question again and same kind of thing. Well, we did what we were given and we did what we were told and, and yeah, it didn't go that well, but that's what was given to us. So, and I, and I was abdicating, I was being passive. I was playing victim. I was blaming, which none of those are hallmarks of great leaders. <laughs> All of those are traits of poor leadership that, uh, and, and I caught it, I, you know, it took me probably 10 minutes probably, but Finally, I go, oh, no, I'm, I'm smelling the odor that I am. I have created. This is foul. And that, yeah, that was the moment for me where um, the light bulb came on. And I went, oh, great. A great leader would have taken less than best content or less than best direction or a less than best idea and would have made it work. Because usually it's not the best idea that creates the best organizations. It's everybody getting behind the same idea and it's people owning the idea like it's their idea. That's what creates great organizations. And that's also what cultivates influence for any one of us in an organization. That if you own the vision that your boss has presented and you own it like it's yours and you make it work, and then you privately disagree, and you privately squabble over whether or not it's correct or not, but publicly you own it, and you make it great, and you make it work. That's what great leaders do. So, yeah, so when he helped me, real, very kindly helped me realize that, um, it was, you, then you just start noticing it everywhere. You start noticing, oh, wow, I've been doing this for a while. I've been, I've been passive for a while because I'm frustrated that I'm, I don't have more authority or I don't have all the authority that I think I need. And I've been slowly learning. I feel like over the last six, seven years. Okay. It's not authority that wins. The influence outpaces authority every single day. That if you can lean on influence and not on authority and cultivate influence, despite having authority, you not only will lead better today, but you'll also be given more authority for tomorrow. So that, that, that was a crucial moment for me. Um, certainly. What, now with that, uh, now you did clarify and say that, um, you know, you can disagree behind door, closed doors and all that stuff. But when the first time when Caleb and I were discussing this a couple of days ago, um, we listened to your, to, to the interview you had with, with Andy on, on his podcast. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, one of the things that, that my first reaction when I heard you talking about this is, well, it just sounds like being a yes man. Like that just that just sounds like being a company guy, Let's just, let's just go along with that. What do you, how, how, what's the difference between those two to you? Like, what is the difference between just being a yes man and being a good leader who is going to make something better out of something that's not as good? Yeah. Todd, I feel the exact same way. And, um, when I, in the book, my favorite, my personal favorite moment of the book is turning the page from one of the behaviors that I have been trying to apply myself that I think it's chapter five that I wrote about was choosing positivity and choosing to buy into something, even though you didn't get to weigh into it. And that's really difficult to do for any one of us, but every one of us is being asked to do that today. We're all being asked to buy into something that we didn't get to weigh in on. And that's difficult. So yes, it feels like being a yes man, But when you turn the page, what I tried to do is couple that behavior 
with thinking critically because it's not turning your mind off. It's not saying, well, I'm never going to find how to add value. I'm never going to think of the next best idea. No, it's actually both of those together. And the, the metaphor or the word picture that I grabbed was um, I, I read this headline of, uh, of an article written about millennials, which if you were a millennial uh, today and you're listening, I feel bad that so many people have written articles about you. Both, both of us are. Yeah, you guys are both millennials. I'm right on the edge. So I feel like I can claim Gen X and can claim being a millennial. But um, I, I just imagine if I were a millennial, I would be like, enough, okay? Enough with the, uh, here's what we think about millennial kind of article. But Terrible this particular headline said, um, millennials, are they misguided optimists or rainbow puking unicorns? And I thought that is one of the greatest word pictures I've ever heard. Because to your point, Todd, nobody wants to be a rainbow puking unicorn. I mean, it's the person that sits in a meeting and every week is like, oh, that was the best Sunday ever. That was the best moment ever. That was the best worship song ever. That was the best sermon ever. That was the best presentation I've ever seen. That was the best meeting we've ever had. That retreat was the best retreat ever. No, it wasn't. There were seven things wrong with it. And we need to talk about that on Monday and we need to fix six of them immediately. And that seventh one we've been talking about for years and somebody needs to come up with an idea on how we can address it. So, yes, it's not just saying yes. It's learning that balance. It's not really a balance. It's really I feel like it goes in the same category of grace and truth. It's 100 percent grace, grace, 100 percent truth of going. I'm always going to choose positivity. I'm going to believe in hope. I'm going to, as First Corinthians 13 says, I'm going to believe all things. That's what I think it means to choose positivity or to choose trust. But then it also means I'm going to think critically. I'm not turning my mind off. I'm not a robot. I'm not an automaton. I, I actually am present. I'm paying attention. And when the moment's right, and when I have the right approach, I'm going to offer a solution on how I think this could be better. And it certainly, to, to cultivate trust, to cultivate influence with your boss, you can't just be a yes man. You, you've got to learn to add value because every boss wants the best idea in the end. Most bosses want it to be their idea. But hey, that's a strategy as well, learning how to make your idea seem like your boss's idea. That if you want to have influence, you and I have got to learn that skill. So yeah, it's certainly not just turning your mind off. So Clay, I'm, I'm thinking of the person who, you know, they're listening to this interview and they're going, yeah, but your boss is Andy Stanley. I mean, right. he's got to be incredible. If you met, if you met my boss, I mean, my boss does everything to get in my way. Like he sets up obstacles for me. You know, what advice would you give to that person? Yeah, I, that was probably um, the most haunting question um, for me as I was writing was, um, I, I get it. Um, most people probably think, oh, well, it would be easy to lead without authority if I were working for Andy Stanley. And, you know, in some ways, it, I, I don't know. I've, I've worked for him for a long time, so it's hard for me to compare. But in some ways, it is harder. He, he has high expectations, and he leads at a very high caliber. And um, it's, it, he can be demanding because he's really good at what he does. But um, at the same time, you're, you're right. It, it is easier in some ways. I mean, he, for the most part, he's not threatened by me challenging ideas. I mean, he really welcomes it if it's done well. Um, but yeah, so I, 
throughout, uh, probably multiple times in the book, I tried to address that. Okay, so what about if I have a bad boss? What if my boss is terrible? The, the first thing that I bumped into when thinking about this was, I think a lot of times we approach this, even in our relationship with God, like, oh, no, God, I've got to go find another job because I have a bad boss. As if God is like, what? A bad boss? How could that be? I mean, as if God has never learned how to accomplish his plan with a bad boss. See the story I mean, of he, Saul in the Old Testament, right? King I mean, any story in the Old Testament, right. there was some crooked, wicked, awful king, and yet God was still going, okay, well, that's who's in charge because all authority is established by God, and we're going to have to figure out how to work around that. So that's that was the first big aha for me is going, hey, God's not surprised by your bad boss. He's not thrown off by that. He's not worried about, oh, no, you're right. Caleb, your boss stinks. And I know you're not saying that personally. <laughs> you're asking for a friend. Yes. But um, I think God, that's that's a great thing for me to just be aware of, to go, okay, God's not, he's not unaware of that. So why should I be so surprised? And, and why should I feel like, well, I can't do anything then. I can't accomplish anything in this role. God's going, what? I changed the whole world with a plethora of bad bosses. So you can, and you can too. So the second thing is, what, what my observation is, is that people leave jobs too early. And that would be my fear for anyone. None of us are in the job we will always be in. You're not, and, and I'm probably not either. None of us are probably in the organization we're going to retire in. So I'm not opposed to somebody leaving their job. Of course, you, you, you may need to leave and you're probably eventually going to leave. I just... For me personally, I don't want to leave too early. I don't want to leave before I can learn whatever it is that God's put me in the spot to learn. And the truth is you will learn more about leadership under a bad boss probably than you will under a great boss because that's the way life is designed. We, we build strength and resistance. That's why the weight room sucks because it's hard. And the weight is heavy for a reason because it builds strength. And if it weren't heavy, we wouldn't learn. We wouldn't grow. So I just wouldn't want anybody to leave too early. I, I really recommend people writing down everything they're learning. You know, if you're in a situation today where you feel frustrated, you need to have to, you, you need to, you need to keep a notepad certainly of what you're learning that when you get to be the boss, things you're not going to repeat. For one, it's, uh, therapeutic. But secondly, it, it's a, it, it creates accountability because you, you don't want to create those mistakes, recreate those mistakes. So I would just recommend if you, if you feel like you're under a bad boss today, don't miss what God is trying to teach you. Don't miss what there is to learn. And, and don't just run away because you have a bad boss. There, there's a lot to be learned under working under a bad boss. So, I guess moving on to the next question, you know, whether it's, whether it's because of, you know, you're discouraged by your boss or you're discouraged because, you know, you tried to pull off a big event and it just failed. You know, what, what do you do to encourage yourself when you've become discouraged? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And self-talk is so important. Um, Psalm 42, I think about over and over again, but uh, it begins just, well, it begins with as the deer panteth for the water, which is one of the greatest words in all of the English language. We need to bring panteth back 
uh, into, it shouldn't just be old English. It should be new English. We should be, somehow someone should create a sermon. A hipster word. Oh, what's that? A new hipster word. Yeah, the new hipster word is Pantith. Yeah. You know, we were at a coffee shop and I went to Pantith with some friends. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so that's the way it begins. But then he says, why, soul, are you so troubled? Why are you so dismayed within me? Which those are powerful words, obviously. We all know what it feels like to have our soul be troubled and also to have our soul feel dismayed. Dismayed is a, that's an, that's an, emotion, that's an emotional word that we don't use very often. Uh, but dismayed means I'm, I feel concerned about this and I feel hopeless in a sense. And I feel I'm, I'm, I feel apathetic because I don't even know what to do because it's so bad. And we've all been there. And honestly, I feel like today, if you're listening and you're working for a bad boss, you may be able to relate to that emotion because you may feel like, gosh, I'm at a dead end and I'm, I feel my situation's hopeless. It's beyond repair. There's nothing I can do. This, this guy or this gal is just impossible to work for. And, or, or to your question, Caleb, if you feel like, something failed and you feel like you're behind the eight ball now because you got your shot and it didn't go well. Um, I, I do think what you tell yourself is really, really important. Um, the, the thing, I mean, this happened to me this weekend. I feel like I had a couple decisions this weekend that, um, that if I could do it over again, I would make them differently. And I was doing it yesterday on the way home. On my drive home from work, I was having that self talk. I think what what we do too often is we create this pass-fail mentality in our life where we think, oh, well, if I failed that event or if I failed that opportunity, life's over. And we all know consciously that's not true. I mean, every we've all heard the stories, you know, of people who have done something great they've all failed at stuff, you know. Michael Jordan missed shots, Babe Ruth struck out a lot, but the creators of Home Depot bounced back to create Home Depot from a hardware store that failed. So every, I mean, there's all kinds of stories, you know, people that have failed at things and then gone on to do something great. So of course we know life's not pass fail, but we treat ourselves as that. And instead, I think learning to treat ourselves as, um, this is all part of the journey and it's all part of the story. And I'm learning something and God is growing something in me. And my goal today should not be to determine whether or not I passed or failed, but to ask the question, what am I learning? What, what am I learning today that is going to set you up for tomorrow? Um, I had a principal when I was in uh, high school. He would come on the loudspeaker at the end of the school session every day, just about every day. And he would say, students, this is Albert D. Wilson, your principal coming in to ask you a question that I want you to think about all evening. What has you learned today? Which is an amazing question because it's not even grammatically correct. But <laughs> and we used to laugh about that incessantly. But it's really a great question that, that that really is what we should be asking. What am I learning today? What am I learning about the mistake that I made that I'm not going to recreate tomorrow? And then have that ability to bounce back and do what David says to do, which in Psalm 42, he says, Oh, my soul, why are you so dismayed and troubled within me? Put your hope in God and sing his praises. And that's really what we should be doing is we should be telling our heart, Hey, hope, hope heart. Like, come on, like quit being so hopeless and remember that there's always hope that God's alive 
And today's not the last day and it's not the end. And if I'm breathing, God's not done. And even if I'm done, God's still not done. And um, I know that's, I know that's a lot for somebody, but uh, I feel like every one of us has to learn that skill of resilience because we're all going to botch situations. Um, most of us are going to botch many. So, yeah. So what, what advice would you give to um, an employee or someone who is looking to prepare for leadership roles today or leadership roles that they'll have in the future? What advice would you give for them to prepare for that future role? Well, I would one say you ought to read how to leave them not in charge because <laughs> that's really why I wrote it. I mean, one of the things that I learned, I have learned is that, um, you know, the first behavior that I try to unpack is none of us are in charge of everything. Uh, none of us will ever be in charge of everything, but what we are all in charge of is leading ourselves well. And so that's where I begin the book. Well, I begin with trying to uncover I, what our identity is and why, that myth of believing that leadership is authority is in us. And the, then I go into the, here's four behaviors that I'm trying to do. And the first behavior is about leading yourself well. And that's what I would tell anybody today is, Hey, you might not be well led, but that doesn't mean you can't lead yourself well today. And if you will lead yourself well today, you will ensure that you are well led. So what are you doing to lead yourself? What are you, how are you, how are you challenging yourself? What are you doing to become more aware about where you currently are? That's to me, that's the trick of leading yourself. Well, is most people don't have a plan. They don't know where to start, but the place where you start is exactly where you are. But to know where you are, you have to know where you are. You know, it's like that map that, you remember shopping malls. No one goes to shopping malls anymore, but you know, you go to the, you go to that when you're a kid, you're like, I want to go find Spencer's or I want to go find the arcade or I want to go find lids or whatever it is. And the, before you find the store, you got to find that star that says you are here because you can't get to where you want to get to if you don't know where you are and finding out where am I right now is so important. And what I mean by that is, being able to monitor your heart and your behaviors. What's, what's in my heart? What are my behaviors? Which you can't do that alone. This is a, this is unfortunately one of the most community oriented parts of self leadership is ha having other people who help you identify exactly where you are. Uh, we use, we use a lot of 360 tools, which if you haven't had a 360 lately, you need to, it's not fun. It's probably about like getting a colonoscopy, but uh, it's so helpful. Uh, when I was transitioning into this job from my previous job, I just created one. I just asked the people I work with. There were about 50 people that were working at this campus that I came from. And I asked them three questions. I said, what did I do well? What did I do that bothered you? And what do you think my blind spots are? And those are three questions today that every one of us ought to ask somebody around us. And in this case, I asked it anonymously of these people. And unfortunately it was more discouraging than it was encouraging. You know, they all, they, and it's not because they didn't have things to say. They all wrote, you know, Oh, this is what you did. Well, and this is what inspired me. And I love this about you. It's amazing. how I don't remember any of that stuff. I remember all of the comments about what I could, what I did that bothered them. But um, the problem was they were all, um, they were 
they were fairly unanimous. They were all similar. And they were all things that I knew about myself that I hoped no one else knew. But um, that's just not the way life works. Other people know your weaknesses. Um, they just, they, they would love to know that you know your weaknesses. And so for me, it was, hey, you don't really, um, you're not prepared for meetings. Um, when I'm talking to you, I don't always feel like you're present. Sometimes I feel like you're distant or um, when, whenever I'm sharing something with you, I feel like you're all, you've already moved on and you're thinking of what to say next or what's coming next. Those were kind of some of the common things that I heard. And so I had to put some things in place to go, okay, well, now I know where I am. I don't want to be that person. So now I've got to figure out what do I, what do, I do to get to where I want to be? So I, I implemented some practices in my own life to try to lead myself better so that I would be more prepared, so that I would be more present with people. So that when I had, when I had an interview with Caleb and Todd to talk about, to be on the, the privilege of being on the Learner's Corner podcast, that I wasn't having to think about what was coming next. So some of that was creating space in between appointments on my calendar. I used to stack my meetings, but now I've really tried to create some space in between to decompress and to think about what just happened and then to have a few minutes to think about what's coming next uh, and to quit being so reactionary in life, but to try to get on top of my calendar instead of my calendar being on top of me. So that's what I would say. I would say, hey, lead yourself. First of all, if you don't do anything else today, come up with a plan for what you're doing to lead yourself well, because if you don't, you will not be led well. I don't care how great your boss is or I don't care if you're working for King Nebuchadnezzar you will not be well-led. So it's, it's our primary responsibility in leadership. Clay, thanks so much for joining us today. If people want to purchase you know, a copy of uh, How to Lead When You're Not in Church, how can they do that? What's the best way? Yeah, uh, the easiest thing to do would be, would be to go to uh, my webpage. It's just claystroggins.com. Uh, but all, I think most major retailers have it. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, CBD, um, and if you go, um, it, it, it launches in a couple of weeks and there's some pre-order bonus material that if you go and purchase the book before the actual release date, um, which is August 22nd, you actually can receive some, some video interviews that, um, I thought were fantastic. And I can say that because I was just facilitating them. And it wasn't because of the questions. It was because of who I interviewed. I interviewed Andy Stanley, Louis Giglio, Frank Blake, former CEO of Home Depot, a couple of campus pastors at Life Church who had some incredible stuff to say. And then there was a, a guy I interviewed at Chick-fil-A who was tremendous, told a great story about um, about how he was he put the, the milkshake on his menu before Chick-fil-A had launched, launched it nationwide. And it's a great story of how to lead your boss to do something that your boss might not be ready to do. So if you pre-order the book and go to claysfrogging.com, you can access those interviews, which I thought were just super helpful um, for me personally. So, and then I'm on uh, Instagram, Twitter, uh, at Clay Scroggins is my handle and all that stuff. So we'd love to keep in touch. Awesome. Thanks, Clay. Yeah, thanks, guys. This is fantastic. One of my big takeaways from that interview was simply the fact that you have more control over than what you think. You know, there's a tendency, I think, in all of us to, you know, whenever things don't go our way, whenever, you know, whenever um, we make a mistake, whenever, you know, whenever we fail to blame other people, whether it be the people who are below us or our leaders, and to really just deflect the blame. 
because you know we weren't in charge, so we weren't able to control everything that happened. But you know, Clay um, really just reminded me that we have more control than what we think. It's just whether or not um, we become good stewards of the leadership and of the control that we're given. Now, on our next episode, we're going to be talking with Mario Lanzarotti, the COO of All and Sundry. The best way to make sure you don't miss our next episode is by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or whatever podcast player you use. If you want to see some of our key takeaways from this episode, check out our show notes. Now, the show notes don't include our beautiful faces, but what they do include are plenty of links and other great things for you to be able to check out so that you can go back and even after we're done talking, continue to learn from our episode today with Clay Scroggins. All that you have to do is be is, is scroll over or draw, hit the drop down menu or do whatever clicking is necessary to be able to get to the show notes from your podcast player. It's a great place for you to be able to check out all sorts of things, including click the tweets so that you can look really, really cool. It also is a great spot for you to be able to continue the conversation and pass on the information more than once. Check out the show notes. It's what all the cool cool kids are doing. If this podcast has helped you in any way or helped you become a cool kid, you can show your appreciation by leaving a rating and writing a review of the podcast on iTunes. Especially if it helped you be a cool kid. You can also show your appreciation by hitting us up on social media. You can like our Facebook page, follow us on Instagram, our handle is at The Learner's Corner, or follow us on Twitter at Learner's Podcast and let us know what you're learning about. Until next time, keep learning and keep growing. Keep growing.